Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I am honored to have Sean Brace with me talking about his new book, The Table I Long For, Learning to Participate in the Mission and Family of God. Thanks for joining all of us today, Sean. I am very honored to be on with you, Alexander. Thanks for having me. You know, as I was reading through your book, I was also in conversations with folks who were thinking, what's the future for church? We've been uh, doing church online, on Zoom, and uh, you gave me some hope that there's room for a kind of post-pandemic community. Broadly speaking, uh, how did you arrive at this hopeful viewpoint for the future of um, our congregations, especially since you're a pastor, you know what really goes on at church. <laughs> yeah, man. So it's a long story. Um, I'll try to keep it brief, but it's basically a, a story of, of, to some degree, self-discovery and, and kind of learning what my ministry gifts and passions were. And basically back in 2016, to make a very long story short, I was kind of at a crossroads in ministry and not sure what to do. I, I just wasn't sensing that kind of traditional pastoring was, was really what I'd been called to do. And so I got this crazy idea to plant a new church um, out of my existing church. And again, to make a long story short, um, over the course of a few months, we had, a, we had put together a church planting team. And the, uh, the only thing I, I kind of could come up with with how to plant the church was to put together this team to launch this really exciting contemporary, you know, worship service, which would have, you know, good music, good children's programming, and I guess some level of good preaching, although I'm not saying I'm a great preacher. <laughs> um, and so we put together this team and um, the, the material that I was reading and listening to had said that this team would be um, only for the purposes of launching this church, and once the church was launched, the team would 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 separate, and and so there was almost a, an urge not to to get too close with each other as a team, mm. um, because those bonds would be hard to like pull apart. Um, but when once we started meeting, um, we were we were meeting at actually my brother in law and sister in law's home, and um, it was just a perfect idyllic setting. You know, I, I live in Maine, so you can just wow. imagine all the beautiful, you know, idyllic scenery. And um, so we're sitting there, you know, we're, we're sitting on comfy couches and chairs, you know, sipping hot drinks, sharing with one another. And I just, and, and I know this almost sounds um, like, like I'm making it up, but I, as I sat there, I just said to myself, why does church have to be more than this? You know, yeah. why does it have to be about putting on all these slick programs and making sure you're, you're showing up on time and making sure you have the, you know, the nominating committees to nominate the nominating committee and all of that stuff. And I, it was, it was actually very, very electric and it, it honestly just ruined me on many levels. Mm. And I just, once I experienced that, I'd never experienced it before as a pastor. Um, you know, I'd had, 
other relational experiences, you know, before I was a pastor and so forth. But it was just so rich and powerful. And it just hooked me. And I said, you know what, we're going to start kind of exploring what church could look like without all the programming, without all of the bells and whistles, what would it look like to just be a community together, a family together, who are sitting, you know, under the gospel and trying to be be the family of God. So that's that's the long and short of it. And it was just ever since then, and we'll obviously get into this, but it just completely that just opened the door to like all sorts of of places that I had never imagined I would end up going. Well, I'm looking forward to exploring uh, those places that you talk about in your book here. Um, you know, what you just described there reminds me of so many good experiences that I've had. I was up in Alaska and sitting there on a Friday night with a bunch of Adventists that I didn't know in someone's home. And we had a rich discussion for an hour yeah. and some time. Um, and it was an Adventist forum uh, meeting. And there's something about just getting together, having a topic, letting everyone have a chance to share mm -hmm. their thoughts. Um, it can be very emotionally bonding and intellectually satisfying. So mm, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm feeling you on this. Before we jump into talking about uh, some of the things that uh, you want, you think need to change about church and the yeah. rate replacement solutions that you have, I have to confess to everyone that I know Sean <laughs> from back in the day. He and I were both <laughs> in the, let's see, um, Religion and Biblical Languages Department at Andrews University as undergrads. And um, I'm really happy to see the, you know, the journey that you've been making. I have to say the past, the guy that I knew, the, the pre-pastor then, um, w is not the same uh, as you are today. And I want a little bit of that journey. Uh, you talk about it in your book. Can you talk about how, uh, where you were and, and why you're here now? Yeah, so you know, I, I, I kind of sprinkle a little bit of this throughout the book. There's a chapter um, that's maybe a little more explicit as well called Losing My Religion. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of unpacks that a little bit more but um yeah definitely i'm i'm definitely i don't <laughs> these bring up existential questions about <laughs> am i the same person or not the same person you know i'll, I'll put you look it this familiar way. to me <laughs> okay good good i um at the very least i i have some I, I would say different values and and um i don't want i mean belief sounds a little scary to the adventist ear mm -hmm. probably um I would say the core of of my theology, the very core of it is is the same. Um, but I think what I've determined is the core of it is a lot a lot smaller than than what I thought when we were classmates at Andrews. And um, I, I've just started to realize that there's a lot of a lot of secondary matters that I thought were primary matters. And I would say that, for me, the gospel has always been central, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been until the last five or six years that I've started to really understand, at least as I, from my perspective, the implications of the gospel on a very practical everyday level. And the real turning point is this journey. Um, and it was specifically just my intentional, and I would say my wife's intentional decision to, and, and this word is thrown around a lot and I use it in the book, but I'm going to use it because I like it, uh, to be missional, to be mm. incarnational, to, to, to actually 
walk and step into life with people who didn't share our assumptions. And I know, you know, some people could hear that and it, and it sounds a little, you know, worrisome and, oh, oh man, you know, they're letting these, you know, heretics set their agenda. And, and, and I think there's always a risk of that. But um, for me, it's just been very eye-opening to realize that there are so many people in the world my neighbors, you know, other people's coworkers, you know, somebody I meet at, you know, a restaurant that I go to frequently, they, they are not at all, you know, tracking with the very um, obscure minutiae that we spend so much time arguing about and, and setting our stakes in the ground over. And so, so that just basically that Friday night, like I said, kind of opened the door to a whole new path of exploration for me. And I, I'm still, you know, very committed to, you know, the core, as I said, of Adventist theology. And I used to say, but, but now I say, now I say, and nice. because of that, because of that, I've come to understand that there's a lot less that I need to be so um, dogmatic about. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the bird's eye view of, of the journey. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And I appreciate your realness. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, I'm new in this role with Spectrum. And one of the things that I really care about are pastors. I was just talking to a pastor buddy of mine who's new in his church. And, you know, I, um, I know that the pressures on pastors are really incredible right now. In fact, I just saw a study about, uh, you know, a sizable percentage of pastors quitting pastoring mm. during the last two years. And, you know, they're just, you know, they're not, they don't get paid enough to deal with the stuff they have to deal with. And so I personally really admire um, what, you know, what pastors have to do. And I thank you for your service to our community. And it really is mm. a service. Um, can you talk a little bit about the sort of th ways that you're uh, maybe thinking about ways that we can get what we need out of community without all the extra stuff like evangelism? Mm. <laughs> all the extra stuff like evangelism. That's great. So, so, you know, I'll just say, of course, in theory, I'm not opposed to, to evangelism. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, a person who is, who is, in, in life with Christ naturally wants to share and to, you know, do all of that. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, the, as, as the, as the subtitle of the book is learning to participate in the mission and family of God. Um, you know, the, and the title of the book is the table I long for. So for me, the table is just the most beautiful. Mm. And I, I don't even want to say metaphor because it's not even a metaphor. It is the, the reality of, of God's kingdom is sitting at the table with each other. Um, you know, someone has said, I think it was Tim Chester who said, doing lunch is doing theology. So, 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 so inviting everyone to the table, inviting every voice to, to join the conversation, um, there, that's a very winsome um, posture to have. I used to think that listening to people kind of gave me the right to then like witness to them later on. And then I realized, you know, listening is the witness itself. Like that is a, that is an incredible gift that we can give to people. Um, so again, I am a firm believer and proponent of, and I, and I love our theological paradigm. And as I said, precisely because of that, I think 
doing this type of missional community work where we are we were we are including people who want to be included and we're inviting them into the conversation is a powerful way to to communicate to them that they have inherent value and worth and that they belong with us now is there a place for us to say you know these are my convictions and i i see it a little differently than you and maybe over time you'll see it the same way or you know maybe i'll see it the way you see it um i still have my convictions but um you know i'm not i'm not as you know dogmatic and 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 being um you know absolutely um insistent that you have to agree with me before i can journey with you hmm. Let's talk about your, your, your the way that you talk about sort of pseudo community. How do we know that we're um, kind of not where we should be, oh, or creating we what we should have? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's that's a multifaceted um, idea, and um, you know, it's it's the the term pseudo community was not coined by me. Of course, it was at least the first person I came across, M. Scott Peck. Uh, talked about it in a book called A Different Drum, and it, it's basically a book on on how to create community. Um, I think, and I tweeted this out a few weeks ago, but the degree to which we cannot have hard conversations is the degree to which we don't have true community. Mm. So that's so that's one one element of it. Um, if there are issues that are like off limits and we can't talk about, then we don't really have true community. Um, we have pseudo community. We have a shallow level of community that maybe is just smiley and and you know feels nice and and warm, but it's not true community. Um, I think also on top of that or similar to that, um, if we are not willing to stay with people through their mess, through their differences of opinion, then we don't really have true community. Um, you know, people can ex exclude themselves if they choose because we we are people of who have values, right? We we have these values, we have these convictions, and if people don't align with those, then you know they are free to to choose whether they want to stick with us or not. But um, but we are, you know, for me, I'm going to stay connected to somebody regardless of of where they line up with my particular convictions and values. Um, and so, so to the degree we don't do that is the degree to which we don't really have true community and we instead have pseudo community. Hmm. Well, let's maybe get to um, something very controversial, which is talking <laughs> about racism and why hmm. understanding the difference between um, being, uh, well, the difference between saying that I'm not a racist and I'm an anti-racist is important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, tell us, kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So people who, who are listening might, might wonder, wow, this seems like a kind of like a, a sharp turn in a different direction. You know, we're talking about community. We're talking about mission. Um, as I was telling you before, one of our mutual friends, when they reviewed the book, that said, wow, this kind of seems like it came out of, out of nowhere, this, this chapter. But my convictions about the, the, the racial discussion really were born out of sitting with persons of color from my, my church and my community. And mm -hmm. my, my natural inclination, and this was all developing um, 
right around the time of the 2016 elections. Mm -hmm. And my natural inclination was to be dismissive and to say, you know what, they're projecting, they're making things up. It's really not that bad. It's, but I was committed and our community was committed to listening, to genuinely listening. Mm -hmm. And it was through that experience where instead of me trying to delegitimize what, what the other people were saying, I just honored them. I listened to them. And I ultimately realized anyway, even if theoretically they are making this up, the best way to change their minds is not for me to delegitimize what they're saying, but to honor and acknowledge and sympathize with what they're saying. So that, so that kind of started this, again, the shift in my own thinking about how to approach this issue. And then, you know, I started listening and talking more to these same people and trying to learn how to be a how to be better when it came to my own posture and attitude. And I started reading, you know, different materials and different books. And I think it was, you know, it's probably Ibram Kendi who has yeah. been the most vocal about anti-racism. Um, so, so I think there's a, a, a way for us to be fairly blissfully ignorant about, you know, racial tension. And we could say, well, I'm not racist, which I think is good as far as it goes, although we have a hard time recognizing our own biases. Yeah. Um, but, but when we become aware of, of genuine issues, I think now the responsibility falls on us mm -hmm. to do what we can to address those issues. You know, if we have, if, it, if it's another issue, say our child is hurting, you know, if we're not aware of it, okay. We, you know, we don't have any responsibility, but as soon as we become aware of it, then, you know, the onus falls on us to do what we can. I'm not saying we have to all be, you know, on the front lines and, and, you know, organizing marches and all that. Some people are called to do that. Um, but at the very least, I think we need to utilize our platforms to whatever degree we can to highlight the reality that there are racial disparities and inequities. Um, and that's, that's, and I just wrote about this in Avenus Review for a column that I write. Um, that is a gospel work. Like yeah. that is a fundamental gospel work. Well, I, again, I really appreciate you kind of being vulnerable and talking about this part of your journey. And, mm. you know, it's not always easy, I think, in a sort of white majoritarian um, culture to, to really uh, be that um, to kind of break through the 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 privilege that happens um, mm. and to understand um, the sort of wider world and and what the um, unfortunate um, both uh, macro and micro uh, role of uh, aggression yeah. and discrimination has in all of that um, we just I was just at an event for um, one of the most uh, successful Adventists in America, David R. Williams, who teaches at Harvard, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and he uh, has created an incredible um, scientific uh, study that helps really connect the incredible health disparities that happen mm -hmm. because of racism around the world. 
this is important for us because we care about community. And it sounds like you really kind of, you know, you did a little bit of that thing that pastors always tell us to do, practice what we preach, and you sat mm-hmm. and listened. What other things um, have you learned as you've really tried to, um, you know, kind of become incarnational and missional and to uh, reform church in a, in a, you know, kind of more along the ways of Jesus mm-hmm. back in the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, hopefully a, uh, an accurate statement of what we're trying to do. Um, no, I mean, I could go on for, for days and days and days with just the explosion of, of kind of the epiphanies that I had along yeah. the way. Um, I, I think one thing I would uh, maybe emphasize more than I maybe did in the book because, you know, we're always in progress um, mm-hmm. is that while, while I, I, I'm extremely committed to, and I think it's critically important that we um, seek to be a missional people with a, with a posture of going out and, and, you know, entering into life with people. Um, ultimately we as a church, that is not our mission per se, Hmm. but, um, the true mission is to be in, you know, to use the Greek term. And I'm thinking of first John one, one through three here is to be in koinonia, yeah. Like that that's our ultimate telos, that's our ultimate purpose is you know John says we have proclaimed this message to you so that you might be in fellowship with us. And so that and he says and truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Th- this was um something that occurred to me to even greater heights when I I read a dissertation um by um um Tihi Lazic. I don't know if you know who he is. He's no. a He's a professor at um, at Newbold, hmm. and he did his PhD dissertation at Oxford on the remnant. And he basically argued that that the identity of the remnant is to is to be this this koinonia, to be this this you know family of you know this fellowship of believers, and that's our ultimate uh, purpose. And we have kind of gotten it backwards, where we think our ultimate mission is to go out and convert people. And, um, you know, he, it's fascinating. He quotes, um, I think it was A.G. Daniels back in 1903, who was remarking that the mission of the Adventist church is the rapid dissemination of the three angels messages. And like that, that's why the whole church reorganized. And so, so Tihi, he was just arguing that this is a very poor ecclesiology that, you know, our ultimate mission is to be the family of God together. And of course, yes, yes, we are going to invite people into that. Yes, we are going to enter into life with other people, but we we, we need to make sure we don't put the cart before the horse, so to speak. Um, and so, so being in the community together, being family together is the whole purpose for which we were created. It's why God created us so that we could be in family and community with him. Um, and so just kind of, Re- rehearsing that over and over and over again is uh, critically important. And, you know, community is not a means to another end. I like to sometime, uh, sometimes contrast this with so-called friendship, friendship evangelism. Like mm-hmm. we're using community and, and relationship for another end, i.e. we're trying to like get them to agree to our, our teachings and our doctrines. And I like to just remind people, no, community is the end. That's, you know, 
the, the teaching is for the purpose of helping people learn how to live in community with each other. It's not the other way around. So, so that's, you know, one thing I would just highlight um, that has been very informative, especially over the last few years. Hmm. Well, that's a really, I think, radical uh, assumption uh, for us to really wrestle our, our, to, to wrestle with, because if, uh, if we understand that uh, people are not means to an end, then we really can start investing in getting to know each other and um, building up uh, the body of Christ. Um, you know, I, wrapping up here, uh, the, as you're, 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 you know, you, you've got this book going out, you've got incredible endorsements from folks at the General Conference like Gary Krauss from Spectrum board member Nick Zork, um, uh, and of course one of our favorite historians, Lisa Clark Diller. You are um, kind of on a journey, and you're really bringing us along on that journey, bringing uh, you know your congregation and the larger Adventist community. What is giving you hope these days um, beyond the community that you're leading? Um, what do you see out there um, sort of uh, theologically, spiritually? We're coming out of pandemic, hopefully. We're getting together <laughs> again. Um, I don't want to just go back to how things were. I've changed mm -hmm. as a result of this. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've changed as a result of this. And I'm kind of optimistic mm -hmm. um, about what we could do. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, there isn't a person, and it's really interesting because it goes across the spectrum to use. Yes, to use we love word. that word. Um, it goes across the spectrum. People who we would maybe consider to be conservative, those who we would call a little more liberal. Um, almost everybody I talk to, when I, when I explain to them sort of the vision, the model, and I hate to use the term model, but just what we're trying here, you know, yeah. we're, we're, yeah. we're trying, like, everybody's like, wow, yeah, why, that makes sense. Like, why, why can't it be that? And so I think there's a hunger. Um, to a large degree, it's maybe, maybe under a certain age, <laughs> age, but, um, but there are others who are a little advanced in years who also, who also see that. But I, I do sense that there's a hunger among people, number one, to just get back to the basics of the gospel, the basics, the simple gospel, who don't want all the other, other, you know, minor issues that they're, that we're, we're harping on. And, and let me clarify this, Alexander, because it needs to be clarified. I'm speaking about North America, sure. right? Because, because there's lots of other things going around, around yeah. the world and good, bad, and different, whatever. But when I speak to people in North America and Australia, mm -hmm. Europe, um, there is, a, I think, a hunger for the simple gospel and then living life with church as community, not church as a building, not church as a list of doctrines, not church as a program, that there's a genuine hunger for authentic community and journeying together. Um, and, and then I, I mean, for me, you know, I didn't touch on this a lot, but as I mentioned in the, in the first chapter of the book, people who are outside of, 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 of traditional church, who, who we would call maybe unchurched or, or non-religious and here in Maine, you know, it's one of the least religious states in America. 
they are looking, I believe, for authentic church. Like they haven't reject church per se. Mm-hmm. They haven't rejected Jesus per se. They have rejected our versions of Jesus, our versions of church. And so I, I've, you know, over the last five or six years, that has been really, um, really eye-opening that people do long to lean into a community that is genuinely, and we're not perfect whatsoever, um, but genuinely seeking to live out an authentic faith. And so I'm very hopeful that both within the church and outside of the church, there are people who are who are really hungering for, um, you know, what I believe is the biblical kind of picture of what church is all about. Hmm. Well, Pastor Brace, it's been great hearing your vision for our community and um, looking forward to uh, hearing how this model grows and how people embrace these ideas of incarnational gathering and communicating. So thank you so much for talking with all of us today. Thank you so much, Alexander. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely 